the White House press room evidently won't be in the White House anymore, but in a building next door. On national television, President-elect Donald Trump insulted CNN as a purveyor of fake news. He pledged to sue the liars, the women who have accused him of unwelcome sexual behavior toward them. The Trump administration will be entering uncharted territory for news and free speech, which is why Los Angeles First Amendment attorney Ted Boutros Jr. on Twitter volunteered to defend for free anyone Trump sues for exercising their free speech rights. Why did you make that offer? I was sitting at home uh, watching uh, the news and Mr. Trump was giving his speech in at Gettysburg, of all places, and he announced that um, he was going to sue every woman who had publicly accused him of sexual misconduct. Every woman lied when they came forward to hurt my campaign. Total fabrication. <laughs> the events never happened. Never. All of these liars will be sued after the election is over. And it, it, it struck me that it, I had never seen really something so outrageous during a, a presidential campaign where someone running for the highest office in the land was, was threatening to sue individual citizens who simply were speaking out as part of the democratic process during the election. And it, it just seemed to me to be such an egregious uh, First Amendment affront that someone had to do something. And part of the uh, dangers of um, in, in the First Amendment area, threats of lawsuits, threats to try to squelch speech can chill speech. And that all came on top of his earlier threats to sue the New York Times and, and others. So I really felt it was important to let the world know that there were lawyers who would defend them. Among the lawyers who have said they would join you in this are Lawrence Tribe at Harvard, Erwin Chemerinsky at UC Irvine. What about conservative lawyers? There have been other uh, other lawyers on the more conservative side. My, some, some of my partners at my law fir firm, um, uh, lawyers from around the country who have said we, we, this isn't a partisan issue. On, on, and, and the First Amendment, you know, it, it cuts both ways. Have you had anyone contact you to say, I may have to take you up on this? I have indeed. A number of individuals, including some of the women who had spoken out um, during the, the campaign about their experiences with Mr. Trump, um, several organizations who had issues that they were confronting. And, um, and so I, you know, we, have, um, we have been helping them out more broadly. I think there are going to be First Amendment issues going forward once Mr. Trump is the president, um, that, uh, that we're going to need to confront. Does Trump understand libel law? I think he clearly knows about the libel laws because he declared that he wanted to open them up to make it easier to sue news organizations. And, and, um, and, and so he knows that they're out there. But he, he does not seem to have any understanding of how important First Amendment values are to our democracy and to our country, and doesn't have respect for those values. And that's what's very troubling, that um, he uses his First Amendment rights. He uses Twitter. He uses his ability to get uh, cameras to focus on him to threaten and demean the press and individual citizens. 
um, but doesn't understand that it's a two-way street, that people get to comment on him and, and criticize him. The New York Times versus Sullivan, the famous First Amendment libel case from the U.S. Supreme Court, said that our country is built on the freedom to engage in caustic, uh, you know, vicious debate to get to the right place. But he, Mr. Trump thinks it's a one-way street where he has all the power. Do you think he intends to follow through on his threats to sue? It seems to me that at this point, he's highly unlikely to bring any lawsuits, but to keep threatening people. You saw he, he immediately demeaned and denigrated uh, on Twitter the local union official who was um, critiquing the carrier job deal that Mr. Trump claimed to have struck. He immediately attacked this individual, not for the facts, but for who he was. And so I think he's more likely to use the threats to chill speech and intimidate people who speak out, uh, because lawsuits would be so difficult for him to prevail in. He would have to meet the actual malice standard from New York Times versus Sullivan, which is an extraordinarily high standard. He'd be subject to discovery and deposition where he'd be questioned under oath and then subject to potential perjury charges if he didn't tell the truth. Um, We've seen how that can spiral out of control when a president testifies in a case, in a civil case back in the Clinton years. Uh, So I think he's more likely to just keep using threats and intimidation tactics rather than lawsuits. Every president, to a greater or lesser degree, has an adversarial relationship with the press, and almost every president wants to have it his way uh, and to be heard, for his side to be heard, and not so much to be criticized. What's different about Donald Trump? It's not unusual for uh, politicians, presidents, presidential candidates to feel that they're being treated unfairly, particularly when the duty, the obligation of the press is to uh, is to examine the, the, the pluses and minuses of the candidate, of the president, and to be a watchdog. And so there's always a tension. There's always a degree of hostility, whether it's a Democratic president or a Republican president. But there are so many differences here. Never has a candidate um, threatened to sue news organizations during the campaign, and never has a presidential candidate threatened to sue individual citizens for libel for speaking out during a campaign. Uh, never has a president used um, uh, social media to demean and denigrate individual citizens or news organizations. Never has a presidential candidate at rallies incited hostility towards members of the press who were there covering him. Because there's nothing like it. Lies, deceit, viciousness, disgusting reporters, horrible people. Sure. Some are nice. Some are nice. Some some really disgusting people back there. So he's he's in another league than, than anybody else on this. And that's why it's, I think, such a precarious moment for the First Amendment, there are um, tremendous journalists in this country that have been doing amazing work reporting on the facts. And, and I think that's the kind of thing that has really driven Mr. Trump crazy, is when there are absolutely truthful report, reports on the facts. A new feature on the social media landscape is deliberate disinformation. I won't call it fake news because The Onion is fake news, but deliberate provocative disinformation. How does that figure into First Amendment issues? It it 
complicates things enormously, and I think that's part of the reason it's being done. That it's 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 a basically a disinformation campaign uh, for some that's meant to undermine truthful, actual news reporting. Mr. Trump kickstarted his political life by uh, engaging in a form of that with the birther um, uh, conspiracy that he helped amplify and spread. It's something we have to come to grips with. Uh, But, you know, the, the First Amendment um, only goes so far as so knowingly false things that are damaging to people's reputation or their their lives in some way are actionable. It's the last resort of ever bringing a libel suit. But there are restrictions, and I think the real threat is to uh, news organizations that are covering important stories, gathering the facts piece by piece, and then reporting stories, then you have people say, well, that's that's fake, too. That, I've heard that a few times in the last week or so, that this story in, you know, on, you know, on CNN, that's fake news, too. We're talking the difference between deliberate information and reporting as much as you can based on the facts you know in an accurate way. That, that, those, are, those two categories are light years away from each other. A year ago, the big First Amendment issue you were dealing with was the question of the contents of the cell phones of the terrorists in San Bernardino who murdered people there. And you were representing Apple, and it came down to a question of encryption. The FBI argued national security was the the, uh, the trump card in this. I can't get into the specifics of that particular case, but what I can say is that um, this is pub- public knowledge that the FBI was arguing that the courts should have the power and should to order companies that make cell phones and, and other devices to create software that would uh, ruin or at least cripple the encryption and the data encryption and the tools that could then be used to um, get into devices like phones. And the, the the danger of that is as we now see is it's it's a weakening of uh, data safety and if ever there were a time when the last thing in the world the government should be doing including the FBI is arguing that we should create more tools to make our data more vulnerable in in the midst of this Russian hacking slash espionage scandal that we're seeing unfold which I think could not be a more important issue for our nation and the world that we need to be focusing on. Um, the the government, and I think the national security and defense parts of the government, uh, strongly support the notion that encryption is crucial and that, that the government should not be doing, asking courts to um, degrade encryption, you know, even though law enforcement um, is, is important and we need to be able to do as much as we can to pursue wrongdoers and terrorists, um, in data encryption is a national security. It's a safety issue, and now we're seeing it's a it's an issue that um, that goes cuts right to our democracy. Isn't it interesting that it there was in a sense a market solution to this? The FBI said, "We'll pay you if you can find this out for us." Well, it you know it it's. Um, very interesting in in the sense that you know in the in the world out there there are contests that um, 
people have to hack into different devices. And so the government needs to improve its technical abilities. And and um, and I'm not suggesting they don't have people who are brilliant and know what they're doing, but whatever they have, they need more in terms of its own law enforcement needs, but also national security needs. It needs to be out ahead of everybody as, as far as they can be. It's hard rain, Ted Boutros, thank you. Thank you so much. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Todd G. Levin. The audio moments are from CNN and CBS News. The music is Rumors by Timex Social Club on Daniel Records. And Bob Dylan sings A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall on the Columbia label. I am Pat Morrison. Heard the roar of a wave that could drown the whole world. Heard 100 drummers whose hands were ablazing. I heard 10,000 whispering and nobody listening. I heard one person starve, I heard many people laughing. I heard the song of a poet who died in the gutter. Heard the sound of a clown who cried in the alley And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard It's a hard, it's a hard rain Are gonna fall